0: The Story is the title of a book co-authored by mathematical cosmologist Dr. Brian Swim and cultural historian Father Thomas Berry. Their book is subtitled A Celebration of the Unfolding of the Cosmos, and tonight in two conversations, the authors explore the story of the universe and an appropriate theological and spiritual response. Dr. Brian Swim
1: There be two Two ways I got involved with this. One was just by looking at the beauty of the night sky. As a young child, I was fascinated by the stars. and just wanted to get closer to them. I wanted to somehow just know about them and be there with them. But in another sense, I was always fascinated by the uh, difference between what I was learning in religion and what I was learning in science. They were different. One of, the, one of the phrases um, from John's prologue, in the beginning was the Word and the Word and so forth. I wanted to know what that meant. What does it mean? Or in, in uh, Colossians, it'll say that all things are made through Christ. Well, I, I could understand that on one level, but I wanted to know what it meant in terms of the universe. And so it would be a, a pursuit on the first hand of just the beauty of the, of the universe. And on the other, it had to do with these questions I had of the relationship between the scientific tradition and the religious tradition.
0: You talk a lot about the universe being intelligent. We're more used to hearing scientists talk about it in quantifiable terms or in terms of interrelationships yes. of how one sort of affects the other. What do you mean by it being intelligent?
1: Uh, it, it, in its functioning, it is intelligent. Um, let me give you an example. In the universe, in the way in which we have discovered it you know, scientifically, empirically, the universe began 15 billion years ago. Now, when we didn't know that the universe had a beginning before this century, scientists, we would we would discuss the way in which uh, the structures in the universe came about in an accidental way. They There would be a collision of molecules and atoms and then these structures would grow up. But now, when we only have 15 billion years, it sounds like a long time, but if you were just relying upon a universe that was random and meaningless, you would not develop even complex molecules such as amino acids after 15 billion years in a large-scale way. And yet the universe creates all of these structures um, everywhere throughout the universe. These amino acids, for instance, have been um, created so that the to say that the universe is intelligent is to say that the universe is about something. It's aiming for something. Another another example, I, I would consider this example possibly the most striking discovery in the 20th century, in 20th century science, it is this. We, we've learned that the universe began 15 billion years ago with this vast um, expansion out from this primordial uh, point of creation. Now, what's amazing is that if the expansion were slightly different, the universe would be completely different. So for instance, um, if the universe had had expanded at even a trillionth of 1% more slowly, then the universe would have collapsed back after only a million years into this massive black hole. On the other hand, if the universe had expanded even a trillionth of a trillionth of 1% more quickly, it would have rushed apart and there would have been only, at the very most, um, atoms forming. No, no um, galaxies, no planets, no stars. So that, you know, the way in which we talk about the universe now is that the universe um, is involved with its own development and its own um, movement towards um, higher complexity. So that's what I mean when I say the universe um, is intelligent. It's about something. It's going somewhere.
0: But when we use, use the word intelligence, normally, say, in terms of human intelligence, we use it in terms, say, of reflecting, of thinking. Are you saying the universe is con- has a consciousness?
1: One of the difficulties with the word um, intelligence is that we, we have, in a certain sense, limited to just the human realm. And how to speak about these larger ordering patterns in the universe um, is a challenge. When I say intelligent, unfortunately the connotations of a, of a thinking uh, human are, are there. So, precisely what I mean, um, I'm not sure what I mean, it's, uh, but at the very least I know that the idea that the human is the intelligent creature within a universe that is somehow um, unintelligent is not the case. It's rather that we find ourselves in a, um, this ongoing developing universe in which intelligent functioning permeates the whole. There's a way in which, um, a phrase we use in science is self-organizing dynamics, so that these these powers of organizing um, events of great complexity, these powers permeate the universe.
0: We've tended to approach the whole consideration of the u- universe from an anthropocentric point of view, as if we are the center. Now, on the one hand, you're saying that we, in your lectures, you're saying we're not. And yet on the other, you say because the universe is ever-expanding, that in a sense each one of us is. Isn't there a, a yeah. kind of a dilemma there, a contradiction?
1: Uh, very much so. There is a the the discovery of the expanding universe, which is in many ways quite recent. It's not something that is easy to appropriate fully, but it is um, it, it is very important news, this idea that the universe is expanding. But when you look at it more... Carefully, you find out that actually every point of the universe is at the center of the expansion. That's an extremely uh, difficult idea to understand. But it, it is the way in which we've discovered the universe. So we, we have a universe that's omnicentric. One way to, for me, to understand this is to go back to a, um, a statement by Nicholas of Cusa. Nicholas said that he's he talking about God. He said, God is a circle whose center is everywhere and whose circumference is nowhere. Now, even though Nicholas was starting from a different standpoint, different tradition, he arrived at a conception of the universe which is very similar. We have a universe that, that in a certain sense, you are always at the center of the universe no matter where you are, and you cannot get to the edge. You can't get to the boundary. In a way, you can't get out of being at the center of this creative event. Now now how that works, it seems paradoxical, but the the way in which I uh, like to think about it in terms of of the Earth is that uh, we have 10 million species on the planet Earth and there is a way in which each species is central to the whole fabric of the the Earth system. Um, Each one is central and each one is different so, it, the human species, then, is central. It has an essential role to play. It's, it's part of this whole divine unfolding. On the other hand, the other species are also central. They, the, uh, the phytoplankton in the oceans, they're central because they are the, the creatures that are creating the oxygen in the planet. And if you looked at, at each species, you would find another central role. So, it is, it's, uh, it's paradoxical, but much of truth is.
0: You mentioned God there. Is there some sense in which this intelligent universe that's ever-expanding and that is everywhere either is God or is a metaphor for God? So
1: the way in which um, I like to think about it in terms of God is that the universe is the primary expression of God. In a certain sense, the universe then is the way in which the divine reality is... Um, Makes present the nature uh, of God. So this is the universe. Then is um, God's body in a sense. So the, it's not that the universe is God. It's that the universe uh, is permeated with God and and is um, an expression of God. Now uh, Thomas Aquinas was um, at one time in, in his in his, um, his Summa was reflecting on the same question and he was wondering why. There, why God created so many things. And his conclusion was that it required all of the things of the universe to give expression to the divine goodness.
0: So it's not just human beings, then, who are made in the image and likeness of God.
1: And that would be one of the most important points. Because since we've, in the modern period, we've had this, this split between our scientific tradition and our and our spiritual traditions. And so we no longer have the sense of a... Of a what I call living cosmology. Now, in the, in the medieval period, um, with, with um, saints such as Thomas Aquinas or, or Hildegard of Bingen, they had a sense of a living cosmology. And there was an awareness. Once again, going back to Aquinas, he, um, they, for Aquinas, it was the, the sacred community was the, was the universe community. It was the whole. But when we, when we split off, um, when science split off from the spiritual traditions and began to talk of a universe that was meaningless or random or accidental, then almost in reaction the, the, um, the religious community began to focus more and more on just the human. So that community meant human community and salvation meant salvation of, of humans. And all of these words and, and, and intelligence, all these words began to focus more and more on just the human as opposed to seeing ourselves in uh, a much larger picture. And that's the excitement of our time, in that this discovery of a universe uh, that's 15 billion years old, uh, me and with all this structure, indicates that the whole adventure is one that is uh, going somewhere, it's about something, and so we have a moment to, to work our way toward a, a, a holistic cosmology, one that is nourished by our spiritual traditions but one that is grounded in our, our scientific knowledge. And in that, in that, in that um, vision, we begin to see ourselves as not as an isolated species, where the human sees itself as, as the meaning of the whole universe and as the, the purpose of the whole universe. Instead, it's the larger community. And we are, we are related uh, so profoundly to all of the other creatures um, in the universe, and especially within the Earth. And every living creature is our kin, uh, genetically. And as we begin to appropriate what this means, we have the opportunity to enter into a new form of reverence uh, for the non-human aspects and components um, of the earth, and for an understanding that it it is the whole community that um, is the sacred community.
0: When you say there that every Living creature is our kin. Are you saying that there is actually a scientifically verifiable connection between us and all living things?
1: Yes, yes. It would be it would be this, and, and our understanding of science um, of the universe. Um, the universe began 15 billion years ago in this great flaring forth. So this would be, in in our way of thinking. When I say our, I'm also referring primarily to um, Thomas Berry. Thomas Berry is a cultural historian in New York, and we've just been working for years um, on the writing of this book, The Universe Story, that that captures a good deal of our thinking. And the way in which we're thinking about the beginning of the universe is here's this, this primary outburst, the flaring forest, this, this eruption out of this divine reality. And that energy, that energy that begins then... Uh, further complexifies into the galaxies and into the sun, into the planet, into the life form. So, just to begin with, there is only a single energy. And we, in our day now, here it is 1993, we are um, living off that, that primal energy. It's the same energy from the beginning as now. And, and likewise, there, four billion years ago, um, here in the planet Earth, there was this amazing moment when the first living cell came into existence. Now, we, um, we know something about the birth of the fir- first living cell, but it is also a, um, um, an eruption of beauty, and it is a, an unfurling of mystery. So in no way do we, do we pretend to eliminate this mysterious moment when the universe um, formed itself as a living cell. But from that living cell, all of the various forms of life and ultimately, in our time, humanity, developed. And what is, what is absolutely astonishing is, is when you examine any of the, the uh, even the, the smallest creatures in the, at the bottom of the ocean, that they are organized, uh, their bodies are organized using the exact same genetic language as our own. They're, you, they're even the molecules that, that, um, that bacteria that bacteria create, the molecules that they create, the molecules that we create in our functioning are not exactly identical, but you can see their commonality. So that we are, all of the life forms are gathered together by a common language, the common language of the DNA, the, the, um, the genetic code, which is in the center of every one of the trillions of cells of the human. So we are most certainly um, kin in a, even a deeper way than we're used to thinking, we're kin from the very heart of our cellular life,
0: the book you've written with Thomas Berry, *The Universe Story*, tries to give an account of this development. Even the word "story" can yeah. sound unscientific. Yes. Yes. Why are you concerned about storytelling?
1: It was one of the for me, uh, developing as a scientist. One of the great surprises was the discovery of story. You see. Uh, the primary person that I studied was the work of Albert Einstein and his his um, his work in mathematical cosmology. It's, we're looking at the, the the functioning of the large scale universe, and and what we thought we thought that what we were about uh, we were we were seeking a, a set of equations that would um, that would capture the fundamental laws of the universe. I mean, this is what we've been about for centuries now. And the strangest thing is that is to discover that it isn't a set of equations that is ultimately primary. And let's see if I can explain what I mean by that. We have, um, there are fundamental interactions in the universe. There's gravity, there's electricity, and then there are these two uh, atomic and nuclear interactions. Now, we have been regarding these as the fundamental laws of the universe. And what we've discovered that as a matter of fact, these laws were not always the same so that at, in the, at the beginning of the universe the, there, there wasn't a gravitational interaction, a gravitational law the way there is now. They actually developed early on, but they developed into the form they are now so that, you see, the laws themselves are actually part of the story. So when you say, what is the universe in an ultimate sense? Is it matter? Is it energy? Is it mathematical laws? It's none of these things. In an ultimate sense, the universe is story. You know, I, was always, I was always puzzled by this, too. Uh, again, the, the question of the, the religious traditions and the scientific traditions. Why was it, for instance, that, that, um, that the someone like Jesus Was not interested in mathematical equations. I mean, it's almost a ridiculous question. But when I was younger, it it, it occurred to me: why was it? Why, why wasn't, um, why wasn't Jesus trying to get at a series of laws? In fact, what Jesus did was tell stories, these parables. And and um, I just, for a while, I just accustomed myself to thinking of science as something different. It was trying to get the laws of the universe. And then there was these stories. But it turns out that in in the, the deepest understanding of the universe is that it is story. It begins 15 billion years ago. It develops into galaxies and stars and planets and life. And that this is, the, this is what the universe is. And so if we are to find our way um, as humans, our question has to be, how are we to, to fit into the, the great story? What is our place in the great story? What is our work in the great story? I know. Once again, see, in the Middle Ages, when they had a living cosmology, and and these these great figures um, pondered the nature of the human, and and um, had places such as universities. The university was a place where you would go to find your role in the universe. But now, when we didn't, we lost our cosmology. Uh, universities became a place where you find your job in society, and I think that the um, we have to return to that deeper question of. Here we are, a young person. Here's a person who is seven, eight years old. All right. Um, when when I talk to them, and I do, I and I try to give them a sense. I tell them that you know the universe has been at work for 15 billion years, weaving these patterns that enabled you to emerge. You aren't here as an accident. Um, you aren't here in a random sense. You are here as part of a great adventure. And you're here for a purpose, you're here for a reason, you're here to make a difference. And the question you must ask is, what is your specific, unique role uh, in the midst of this, this, this great story? So I think in a sense that story is the way in which um, uh, the universe expresses itself, and it's the way in which we humans find our place within the universe.
0: Have we lost our way in finding that place?
1: I would say in, in, in some ways we have. In some ways we have definitely lost our way. The, um, and maybe just to, to say quickly why it's so obvious to me we've lost our way. Um, what, when, you, when you look at the universe and you say, w- where is the universe going? One of the most obvious uh, conclusions is that the universe is moving towards beauty. Moving towards a great beauty. This would be a, a way in which the universe expresses the depths of God, and and the way in which the beauty is expressed in the natural world is with this vast diversity of life. So that beginning four billion years ago with a single form of life, we've now diversified into ten million different forms of life. If you if you include all of the various aspects of life. Now, uh, if if it's, it's obvious to me, and, and to anyone who really looks at it carefully, that, that we are given the great opportunity to participate, to bask in this beauty, and actually to add to it. Now, instead, we have, um, we have uh, destroyed so much of the beauty. Now, it's true that species do go extinct. And then maybe they, on a natural level, they go extinct, but they go extinct at a rate that is slower than the, the, the rate at which new species are created. So over 4 billion years, even though there, there have been ups and downs, we've been a, it's been an overall increase in species, but at the present time, instead of having one species go extinct every year in a natural way, we are extinguishing 10 to 40,000 species each year. And we will, we will after the next uh, couple decades, if this is a, a, assuming that we wake up, if we do wake up, we will have extinguished something like 20% of the diversity of the life world. Now, uh, there's no reason for this. This is, this is what I would I'd say is the primary evidence that humans have lost their way. And instead of being a blessing um, to creation, we've become a, um, you know, a kind of poison. Not, not entirely, but I'm saying when you look at the overall picture around the planet, we have become a destructive element
0: both you and thomas berry in your book seem to apply this principle of the need for a cosmological perspective right across the board including to religion i mean uh, to quote at one point you say to preserve the natural world as the primary revelation of the divine must be the basic concern of religion Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is that not reductionist
1: in in what sense
0: that you're taking the transcendental and and make it uh, express itself purely as natural
1: oh i see um, well, no, it would be... Our way of thinking was this, would be the the, the, the transcendent God um, is expressed in the, the primary creation, which is the universe. Now, the, there, this would be actually... A, this would be in our religious tradition as well. Thomas Aquinas talked about the two sacred books. There was the sacred book of Scripture and there's a the sacred book of nature. And so in a certain sense, this, um, this would be a return... Um, to what we regarded as as common in the medieval world, that the after all, the the uh, the scriptures were created over um, maybe a thousand years, and they are irreplaceable. They're absolutely essential. But the the universe took 15 billion years to create. So I think that the amount of revelation that is present there, and that will um, nourish. A human spiritually in a deep way, um, as we learn to contemplate uh, the wonders of the universe, uh, goes vastly beyond what would be contained in any particular scripture uh, written in a book.
0: Dr. Brian Swim. And in responding to the new insights of cosmology, Father Thomas Berry believes that Christians must move from a human centered salvation or redemption way of thinking to a creation centered one.
2: Well, the basic reason is that uh, the relation between the divine and the human um, is, I think, uh, fairly well established. Uh, a relationship with each other, at least the principles, are fairly well established. And we've worked at solving the human issue. We haven't uh, answered all the problems, but we have worked at it. We have papal writings regards it. And it's been the central point of our thinking, but we haven't attended to the universe, to the planet Earth, and to the natural phenomena. And the big danger to the human right now is the devastation of the planet. We're simply ruining the planet. Now, if we ruin the natural world, we ruin the primary communication of the divine to the human because the primary scripture is the natural world. It's the sun, the moon, the stars, the plants, the forests, the rivers, the streams, the animals, the birds, the crickets in the field, the flowers. All of these things are the primary scripture. The verbal scriptures are secondary. So uh, it's extremely important that we do not let the forests be destroyed, that we do not let the streams be polluted or the air. Uh, Ruined, And so, if the natural world ceases function, then it's not only an economic loss, but it's a loss of soul. And if in our cities we have only the polluted air and the children are raised in a world of concrete, wire, and steel, and machines, and uh, pollution, then they uh, don't have the contact with the stars they don't have the wonder and mystery of the universe about them and their religious uh, perceptions will be degraded as their surroundings are degraded
0: in the past in the catholic tradition when people spoke like that they were accused of being pantheistic of identifying god and nature of reducing god to the physical universe what do you say to that charge
2: well, that chart had been around for a long for a long time, but it's uh, totally <laughs> destructive because uh, the scriptures themselves say that we have to look to the natural world. The Psalms are full of the natural world. Uh, we can't get away from it. And to think that our perception of the divine manifested by the natural world is going to seduce us religiously, well, I think it's absurd. And... I don't know people that are think anything is divine, in the sense that of idolatry. Uh, uh, it's generally, and almost always, a perception that this is a manifestation of something. But to take away our primary experience of the divine, the natural world, by frightening us with a feeling that we think the flowers themselves and their external appearance of the divine, Uh, Well, I just think that is to deprive us of the primary basis of religious
0: experience. Are there other aspects of this, of this importance of the universe that you feel need to be highlighted now? Well,
2: the basic thing is to understand the type of world that we live in now. Uh, Our sense of the universe is... Uh, changed and, in a certain sense, the earth particularly has been stolen from us by the um, scientists or those who tell us that it's a random process and doesn't have any further meaning. Uh, if we let the uh, the world be stolen from us, from us, then the then the um, the religion will be stolen from us. But the most important thing right now is the fact that we must realize how much we've devastated the planet. I think that the greatest failure in the total course of Christian history is the failure of Christians to come to defend the earth against those that are plundering the earth. And that, I think, reveals a lack of understanding of the spiritual dimension of the earth or the extent to which we are dependent on the earth. to go to the further implications of this, Saint Thomas tells us that the reason why there are so many different things in the world is because the divine could not be imaged forth in any one being, so he created a vast diversity of beings, so that the perfection lacking like into one will be supplied by the others, and the whole universe together would manif would participate in the divine and manifest the divine more than any single being whatsoever so there's a kind of a blasphemy kind of a sacrilege kind of an evil that is uh, beyond measure if we let the supreme manifestation of the divine be devastated so If religious people cannot understand that, there must be something wrong with their perception of what is religious or what is spiritual or how the divine is manifested.
0: Yes, the destruction that you've talked about has come about through the influence of societies which would consider themselves to be supremely Christian. How has that happened?
2: Well, that's a great mystery. Uh, The reason why it happened is very complex. But one of the causes of this, I think, is uh, the Black Death, the plague, that struck Europe in 1347 and lasted to 1349 when a third of Europe died. This is the most traumatic moment of Western civilization. And uh, the people had no explanation for it. They had no, no knowledge of germs. They can only figure that... The world had grown wicked, and God was punishing the world. Therefore, we needed to turn to salvation out of the world rather than to live coherently in the world. And there again, that's a turning away from life. That's a turning away from existence. And we got at that time, spiritualities like that of uh, St. Thomas, um, well, not St. Thomas, but Thomas uh, Aquinas. in the 15th century, who wrote, uh, the more he's in the world or goes forth among people, the less uh, spiritual he seems to be. So he turned away from things. Now, to turn away from life is kind of a a sacrilege, as I've said. It's a kind of supreme evil. Uh, Not to rejoice in life, Uh, is to refuse the gift of the divine. It's why... Uh, things are made beautiful, and why we have eyes to see the universe is to appreciate the beauty of the divine is manifested in the universe, and we have ears to hear the song and the singing of the universe. We have a feeling to be able to feel the, the wind, and we have, are able to experience the fragrance of the flowers. All of this is put there, that humans might um, delight in all this. But for the most part, our religious tradition is very good on divine human relations and interhuman relations. That's why when a person was asked, when Jesus was asked about the important law, he says, love of God and love of neighbor. This is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. But it has nothing
0: to do with the natural one. That brings me, though, to a central point in that if we say that the universe is the primary scripture, are we then denying the importance of Christ? No,
2: it's not necessary to consider this as denying the importance of Christ, because uh, the, uh, the Christ reality has a special relationship with the with the universe, and this is emphasized particularly in St. John and St. Paul. St. John, in his prologue, uh, alters or extensively expands the whole interpretation of the Christ reality in terms of the universe. He says, in the beginning was the word, and all things were created by the word, and the word was made flesh, and so forth. So he identified the divine reality uh, with this um, uh, with the second person of the trinity, the Christ reality that uh, from whom the whole universe uh, derives. So, and in whom the universe uh, survives and exists. So the Christ reality in its cosmological dimension is presented here, and also by St. Paul in the first chapter of the Epistle to the Colossians, where he mentions that the universe is uh, held together. He says, all things are held together in Christ. So there is a way in which the cosmological order and the Christ reality identify.
0: So there isn't a conflict then between creation, spirituality and the incarnational that perhaps we're more used to.
2: No, uh, but this question of how to understand it. It's also a question of how to understand this in our modern understanding of the universe as a sequence of irreversible uh, transformations as an evolutionary universe, of an evolutionary mode of the Christ reality. But this uh, seems to fit very well with uh, St. Paul's idea of the Christ as a developing thing in history. In history, uh, humans fill up in their own bodies the things that are wanting to the suffering of Christ, and he has the idea of the mystical body that is taking shape through uh, human history. Uh, so we only need to understand this as taking shape not only in human history, but in the entire history of the cosmos. And it accords very well with what scientists now call the anthropic principle, which is the uh, principle that uh, the explanation of the universe as having a human uh, dimension from the beginning. That is, that in some manner, the universe was tending toward uh, the creation of a human um, intelligence in which the universe would reflect on itself. And so, in this sense, the, uh, the sense of a Christ reality as a cosmological reality is discovered by contemporary scientists. And when Freeman Dyson says that the more he studies the structure of the universe and its emergence, the more convinced he is that the universe must have known that the human was coming. And uh, so the sense, then, of this Christ dimension, the universe, uh, is, uh, is um, reaffirmed, uh, in a way, or the context is given by contemporary science, even.
0: In the course of your lecture, you mentioned, in fact, you emphasized the need to celebrate and to find rituals which would actually celebrate this wonderful diversity of the universe that we have and you picked up on one or two sacraments. Can you tell me in what way, sacramentally, Christians can celebrate the universe?
2: Well, we can celebrate the, the universe in a number of different ways, but there are some things that I think deserve special notice and celebration. Uh, I think that the um, supernova explosions And the creativity that goes on in the supernova explosion needs to be celebrated, because uh, the supernova is the collapse of first-generation stars that uh, create an immense uh, amount of heat, an intensity of heat, that enables the 90-some elements to be formed. Before this collapse, in the first-generation stars, there was only hydrogen and helium and perhaps uh, one or two lighter elements. But to form the 90-some elements, there has to be the sacrificial offering, as it were, of the first-generation stars, and particularly one star, out of which our solar system and the planets were formed, uh, needs to be celebrated. It's what makes the solar system possible, makes the Earth possible, makes light possible, makes intelligence possible. Uh, To leave that just uh, unnoticed in our thinking about the universe uh, seems to be improper. Uh, And celebration is the way in which we enter into the universe. Uh, We generally enter into the universe through moments of transformation, for instance, at dawn and dusk. These are the two mystical moments of the day when it's most appropriate to pray. It's most appropriate to have religious observance at these two moments. Uh, Also, in the springtime rituals, uh, it's uh, almost universal to celebrate these as religious moments. We celebrate the solstice by celebrating Christmas at that time. So, uh, we celebrate the... Uh, ever-renewing uh, seasonal cycles, but we don't celebrate these moments of historical transformation. And I think it would be most appropriate to uh, celebrate the, uh, the supernova. It would be also appropriate to celebrate the formation of the planet of Earth. It would be appropriate to celebrate the coming of the flowers because uh, flowers have a wonderful role. We celebrate the coming of springtime each year, but just think of that moment when there were no flowers, and then suddenly the flowers appeared. It's a a wonderful transformation, a spiritual transformation, as well as a physical transformation. And uh, through the coming of the flowers, we get seeds, we get the berries, we get of the nuts. We get uh, ways of feeding on concentrated energy that does not exist uh, before there were flowers. And so uh, the higher forms of life could evolve then. So uh, this moment is uh, a most beautiful moment in the story of the emerging universe. It should be celebrated.
0: Father Thomas Berry, The Universe Story by Brian Swim and Thomas Berry is published by Harper San Francisco.